When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Ovation Show, where we are talking to business owners and executives, and we're discussing their businesses, their business growth, corporate culture, sales, and strategy. We're going to hear about their successes and their challenges, and maybe learn a little bit of inspiration, motivation, um, and, and just figure out what they're doing and how they're doing it. So today, my special guest is my good friend, Nick Kennedy. This is our first live event, so anything that goes on, it is new. <laughs> I'm usually, I usually need edits. This is part of the, I need an edit button, but I guess we're going live today. It's yeah, we, we're doing it live. All so, right. um, you know, so those that don't know, Nick Kennedy, a uh, good friend of mine, I met him uh, through when he was the CEO and founder of Rise Air. It was a private jet membership airline. Um, I was using it to go to Houston with one of my clients and be- met Nick and then we went on, I uh, did the benefits for Rise Air. Later on, he sold that company to Surf Air, um, but he went on to uh, be Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year. He's an Ironman finisher. He now runs a uh, Nick Kennedy- Nick Kennedy Coaching. Coaching, thank you. Yeah. And, and he wrote the book, The Good Entrepreneur. Uh, this is actually a great book. I, I finished it twice, um, so I urge everyone to get it. But today we're gonna just dive into what where Nick came from, how he got where he, where he went and where he's going now. So Nick, thanks for coming in. Yeah, man, Dan, it's great to be here. I'm yeah. uh, really looking forward to it. Thanks for the opportunity. So let's talk a little bit about the journey. You know, you built sir, you, you built Rise, yeah. which was fantastic. Yeah. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But that journey of entrepreneurship started back when you really were about 16. Yeah, I did. So so just a, uh, one cor- correction, the team built Rise. I know what you mean by that, but yeah. I mean, uh, the reality is there were so many great people that came al- around us that, that that built and you probably interacted with a ton of them on Rise. But yeah, I mean, so, you know, I grew up, I grew up in a upper middle class uh, family. Uh, and when I was 16, my dad was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison. So I went from this up, upper middle class life to helping my mom pay rent. I have an older brother who's uh, got some um, um, some mental disabilities and taking care of them. And, and, and it just everything kind of got thrown upside down right before I was going to go to college. And what I figured out was entrepreneurship was the bridge to, to take me from the life that I had been given at this particular case uh, to the life that I wanted. Right. Entrepreneurship is this great uh um, power that we have that if you've got an idea and it's a valuable idea, you can most likely find people to back you in that idea, whether it be customers or investors or employees or people who trust you. And reality is you can go from zero value to lots of value very quickly, which is what I learned about entrepreneurship and and why it's such an important aspect to humanity. I mean, this is tens of thousands of years old of entrepreneurship and and everything good that we have. This microphone, right? The the coffee we're drinking, the cameras that are filming us. An entrepreneur came up with that idea. And it's this this the definition of an entrepreneur is a French word. It means the bearer of risk. 
So as you start your own firm, right, and you went out on your own, right, you took on risk. It makes you an entrepreneur. Whoever's running the studio is an entrepreneur. They took risk to put it all together that we would still come and rent these the studio from them, right? I mean, that's what an entrepreneur is, and 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 that's the journey I, I started to learn early on in my life at the age of sixteen. When you're talking entrepreneurship, something you talked about in the Lone Star Council last week was that you know we're taking on risk, but we're we're building something, we're growing something. Everyone has a dream of what they do or why they do it. Yeah. We don't really own that. We're building something for the future. Talk, expand on that. Yeah. So in, in the book, in the Good Entrepreneur, and by the way, the Good Entrepreneur, good really means virtuous entrepreneur, right? Just virtuous it didn't didn't have quite the ring that my marketing folks wanted on it. So the Good Entrepreneur is this idea that um, there are there's there's never less than making money. You got to make money. That's the 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 bottom line in business. But you've got the opportunity to do so much more uh, with your opportunities and. Um, in the book, I track back and I say the first entrepreneur was 80,000 years ago on the shores of the banks of, uh, of Morocco, of the ocean there, there are snails. And the people who lived on those shores took those snails, the shells, they put holes in them, they painted them and they made jewelry. And we have now found, uh, recently we found those same snail shells 300 miles inland. And it's the first evidence we have that humans started to trade or barter with other humans. So just to give some context, 80,000 years ago, Neanderthals were roaming Europe at this time alongside Homo sapiens, right? Neanderthals have died off. We're the Homo sapiens. We are now the only ones that, that exist anymore, but they existed at the same time. And one of the theories that, that the Neanderthals, just to get kind of geeky on you real quick as to why they died off, is they didn't know how to share resources. So they were bigger, bigger brains, bigger muscles, taller, stronger, everything. They should have been the dominant species. Homo sapiens should have died off. They didn't. And the theory is they didn't learn how to share, didn't learn how to barter. But however, Homo sapiens did. And, and, and so 80,000 years ago, that's where entrepreneurship started. And so this concept is when you're an entrepreneur, your job is to take the, the, the work that the entrepreneur did prior to you coming along, make it a little bit better and pass it on to the next generation. And when you don't do that, you have the Billy McFarlands and the Travis Kalanacks and Elizabeth Holmes and all these names we know of people who just got, who, and, and it's complicated, so I don't want to oversimplify it, but, but we know these names because they, they, they took it on as if it was their own, as if it was something they owned and it was theirs. And it's just not. You benefit, I benefit. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're in business, you benefit from the history of entrepreneurs coming along. And so my calling in the book is to say, be aware of that. And when you do that, what's super cool is you, your whole perspective changes, right? It becomes a little bit less, it's more important in some respects because it's your legacy, but it also becomes a little bit less of a like, oh, I have to do it all. Otherwise the world's going to end. I mean, the world's going to keep going on. I'm going to die. The worms will be eating my body and some other entrepreneur will come along and hopefully they'll be better because of what we're sharing on shows like this, what we're sharing in our books, what we're sharing in coffee or over a glass of whiskey in, in late at night, right? That's the, that's the goal uh, of what I want to see in entrepreneurship as, as people grow. You know, I like that because it really that actually resonates with me because I look at my mastermind group and what we're doing in the employee benefits sector. Mm -hmm. You know, we're trying to change the way healthcare is delivered to employees and mm -hmm. not just by lowering the cost, delivering better quality outcomes, getting away from what we people have done for generations, for, for decades now, because it's not working. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to make change that benefits the future, yeah. the future of employers, the future of families. And so, you know, again, we're thinking about ourselves. I know my buddy Lester, you know, his why is because he saw what, what cancer did to his family. Yeah. And so now he's out trying to change insurance for because of what that happened. So again, growth for the future. I like that. 
Hey, real quick, before you go to the next thing, I think that's so important, the why. I mean, Simon, uh, Simon Semenek mm -hmm. wrote that book, Start With Why, right? Yep. I mean, it's so important. Uh, and, and I think it's so important because when you start out on the journey of entrepreneurship or starting a business, inevitably, uh, roadblocks come up. I just posted this today on LinkedIn. I'd rather invest in a C idea with an A team than an A idea with a C team. Why? Because the reality is when you start out, you have no idea what's coming. And I want to make sure that people I'm invested with, that whether I'm in the business with them or giving them my money or spending time with them, have the ability to deal with the, the realities of business and how they come around. And so that why, what I have seen in my own life and what I've seen in other people's lives who are successful is when the, when the rubber hits the road and that, that like, geez, I don't know how to make, I'm going to make payroll or Jesus isn't what I thought this was going to be like. If you don't have a why, it's really easy to pull the string and say, I'm out. Mm -hmm. But if you have a story like your friend Lester of cancer affecting his family, he's like, I'm in. It's hard, but I'm in because at the end of the day, I want to make sure people have the benefit of this coverage. So God forbid you get cancer, at least the financial aspects, not, not taken mm -hmm. care of. That why is everything, in my opinion, when it comes to, like, if you don't have a why in your business, get out because when all hell breaks loose, that's the only thing that's going to keep you standing still and planted into what you need to go do. Yep. So let's talk about your why a little bit when you started Rise, because I know something in the book you mentioned was, you know, the freedom to go without constraint. Yeah. And, that, and I think that also not just applies to travel, it applies to yeah. life. But how did, I mean, was that, that become before or after the idea of I just want to own a private jet airline? Yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> egotistically, I just wanted to have I wanted to have access to private jets. There's a joke in the private jet industry that, you know, it's PJs, private jets uh, are, are like crack cocaine. The only difference is you have a shot of quitting crack cocaine once you started. I mean, once you experience that private plane, it's just really hard to stop. And I had traveled uh, through the through two other ventures I'd been involved in, startup ventures in the healthcare space. I had accumulated two million miles on American Airlines in a decade, so I was gone all the time. One of the gentlemen who founded, who, who funded that business and ultimately uh, acquired the business and, and took it public had a private jet. And I, and I, and I was at this place where I was like, you know, my dad wasn't in my life. I have this huge hole in my, my heart. I've all these daddy issues because my dad wasn't around. And, and I realized that as my kids were getting older, I wasn't around. Not, not because I was in prison. It was a voluntary. I was just traveling all the time. And I came to this point where I thought, well, I'm not going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to settle down and do something, some nine to five job where I'm just at home. I'm there for the soccer games, et cetera. But I really felt like I needed to go do this entrepreneurial stuff that was fun for me to do. The private jet was the answer because it allowed me to have breakfast with my family, go to another city for a business meeting and be back in time for soccer practice. I could have my cake and eat it too. And, and so it turned into like, oh, I really want this from an ego standpoint. But then it turned into, wait a second, I've been doing market research for 10 years. All the people on the sand plane sitting in first class, because we all got the upgrades, who were dead behind the eyes, who were overweight, who were pale, who were gone from their families and friends. They all wanted something better than first class, but couldn't afford or wouldn't pay for a private jet. And that's where this really came from, which was. Uh, man, there's a huge opportunity here. And what I didn't realize until years, years later is like, I felt constrained visiting my father in prison, right? I spent hundreds of hours in a prison visiting cell. And I've spent hundreds of hours in a private jet, two, the two furthest of places on the, on the face of the earth apart from each other. And I, and I just remember being like, I want to get out of here. I mean, I wasn't even in prison. I just wanted to be out of there for the four or five hours I spent with my dad. And man, the, the plane was that. I mean, it was this metaphorical and literal sense that you could just 
go anywhere you wanted. And for a kid who felt constrained in a lot of ways, it was it was the salve to a wound. It wasn't the ultimate salve, but it was a salve to, to the wound that I had at that time. Well, it's funny you said that because when I met you, it was because one of my clients was using you to fly back and forth to Houston from Frisco because mm -hmm. his all his restaurants were in Houston. Yeah. And that and I started flying with him because it made sense. And he said, I could leave in the morning, drive to Love Field, get on the jet, go to work, come back, be home in time for dinner. Yeah. And he was doing that three, four times a week. It yeah. was just like it was just his daily commute. And that was what we always said. We said we don't sell seats on a plane. We sell seats at a dinner table. Yep. Right. That was the whole mantra of the sales team was don't try to sell this like uh, give people access to that so they understand that they can they can do both things. They don't have to sacrifice one or the other. And and when you solve that problem, I mean, the text I used to get from our our clients, our, our members was just astounding. You've saved my marriage. I mean, I, like that's not hyperbole. Like people would say this to, to us and our team did a great job of making that work. And it was nuts to see how the reaction to how people uh, um how people reacted when they got access to that. We hear a lot about the work-life balance, which is such a, I don't know, oxymoron. It's just, yeah. there's such an incongruency in life. And I think that you even said that last week. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're make, you're helping us have a better quality life. It's not about balancing. It's about a quality of life. Yeah. Um, so I think it's fantastic what you did. So let's go, let's go to team because you brought it up in the very beginning. You brought it up a couple of times about rise was built by a team. Yeah. And I know actually you're a three minute, uh, email on Sunday, yeah. talk about the importance of team and standing by your team, Yeah, but share with me the rise team and you know, how you yeah. built it, how you selected them and, and the importance of the team. Yeah. First of all, thanks for the plug for the three minute business coach. <laughs> Every Saturday I send out a, a three minute email, uh, in this last week. And it's, a, so it's just a, a brief, like something to think about this weekend. And, um, uh, this last time I told this story about firing customers and Herb Kelleher was a, is a hero of mine. He's since passed away, but the founder of Southwest airlines. And, and there's this great story he tells that's told about him in the book nuts, which is, uh, firing customers. And I just remember thinking like, that's so cool. And I had this opportunity when, when I was CEO, uh, a client of ours, most of our clients were really high net worth people who own businesses and were used to getting what they wanted and kind of throwing their wallet around and people saying, yes, sir, may have another. And, and occasionally they would do that to my staff who most of whom were fresh out of college and didn't know any better to push back m m most of the time. And I would say to them, Hey, not only do I want to know when someone's rude to you, but it's, it's, I, I need to know. It's like part of your job to, to need to know because you don't just get to give me money and therefore get access to abuse my employees. Well, the first time this came to fruition, an employee had said something, or excuse me, a customer had said something, one of our employees, she had, uh, I had gotten word that she was in the bathroom crying, I called her into my office, she told me the whole story, and this guy was just, a, he was a petulant child, he was a 60 year old petulant child who was used to getting his way. And man, we were just started, we needed every stinking penny that was coming in the door, I could not afford fire this guy. I mean, I really couldn't, but I didn't, but we had, we had written down one of our values, which was, was love, which sounded kind of corny. Like a lot of people, several people were not really cool with that inside the business, but I loved the word love because you can't really love somebody. We're simple in American, in English terms, right? We have one word love, right? And there's, there's so many different variations of the word love, but you can't love somebody until you know them, which means you got to stop and have a conversation, understand them and wonder, right? Uh, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, great book, talking to, talking to Strangers goes all into this. Like if we just understood everybody else. So long story short, I called the guy and I said, hey, 
uh, I don't know exactly what happened. I know I'm not okay with you talking to my employee that way. And so I've refunded your money and I wish you the best of luck. And I hung up the phone and I called my controller and said, refund the money. And Dan, I was like, I was sick to my stomach because I needed that money. <laughs> and um, the guy called and I got his voicemail and he called back five minutes later. And I, I braced myself because I thought he's going to give me an earful. And he did give me an earful, but he said the thing that I, I never would have expected. He said, Nick, I loved Rise so much before. And now that you called me out on my BS, I love it even more. It's been so long since someone called me out on my BS. And I was, I was astounded by that story because there was a principle we had established before we ever knew this guy's name. And we said, we're going to stand by this principle as a business, as an organization. And we did it. And what happened? Like the guy actually loved the fact that we called him out on it. And I just think there's something really beautiful about you know, when you can, when your team knows they have your back, they're going to have your back when it, when it gets hard and it will get hard when all the things break and you need them. And the idea, this idea of the the lone wolf, the Henry Ford, the Steve Jobs, like the, the Elon Musk. I mean, Steve Jobs had 30,000 employees. Henry Ford had 100,000 employees. Elon Musk has tens of thousands of employees. Like this is just stupid that we say like one guy did everything. And yet it's the complex we have, you know, in, in the business. So that's the, the team aspect of it. I love it. And I love what you did too that you didn't mention was that the guy wanted to come back on mm -hmm. as a client mm -hmm. and you said he needed to apologize to her and it was her decision to make that yeah. this young employee with basically no power yeah you would think yeah and you gave her the power yeah to, to hire or fire him yeah keep him off which i thought i thought that was amazing a great story and she did she welcomed him back and he was a great he, he was a great client yeah. we, we ended up firing i i don't remember exactly it was less than 10 but probably like seven to eight clients over the course of uh, several years and it was always the same thing not every one of them ended up that way a lot of them yeah. ended up with you you know i mean with a lot <laughs> other a lot of other things but i just thought that was a fascinating story to forgot how that played out well I like when people stand behind their employees or against them we had a we had a story where we're doing live chat open enrollment with a group and we have live chat employees in california and this employee was extremely rude swearing doing stuff on the live chat to my employee mm -hmm. And so, of course, that came to me. She goes, how do I handle this? I said, transfer the chat to me. Mm -hmm. I'll handle the chat and was real gracious. I said, OK, great. And then I but I, it was unacceptable. And I said, well, we'll work on this. And I printed off the entire chat and gave it to the CEO of the company. And this is, a, you know, this is a multi you know, thousand, fifteen hundred employee. Company. Yeah. And they took it and they fired her. Yeah. They said this is unacceptable for you to talk to any other employee, but also our vendors, the people that we work with. Yeah. And so, you know, that says a lot about them too. They fired that employee for the behavior on that live chat. Well, and we want to excuse Dan. I love that you did that and protected your employee. I mean, when someone shows you who they are, the best thing we can do is believe them. And it comes out sideways and it's not, we're not who we are at our worst, but it is an indication that there is some, there's some chink in the armor around that. And who knows how much you say, you may have saved that company like that's one aspect of it but imagine all the other things that potentially were coming down the line that ultimately could have hurt that company so bravo to you and bravo to the ceo that that took that hard action that i agree you know something that came up and then i wasn't gonna go this route but it, now you said it we're talking about you know being nice being an asshole there's different ways to go and the conversation came up last week can you be successful being nice and expand on that because that yeah. was a good conversation on that yeah i mean i think you can't i mean we we know the archetype the larry ellison's the elon musk the steve jobs like we know you can be an asshole and be successful <laughs> um uh and and i do think that the i think there's here's the difference I've, I've studied a lot of this i think and i know you can be successful without being an asshole but i um the difference is it's much easier to be an asshole 
it's harder to take the time to get to know someone and investigate and go through it versus the snap decision around it. So, you know, as you know, as a CEO of a business, your time is limited and you've got to make quick decisions with limited information and you get into the habit of just trusting your gut, right? Blink, right? Which was such, such a great book, like how, trust your gut around this. And so you, you, it's almost a shorthand for, I don't want to do the, I'm doing the work here. So therefore I'm not, I don't want to do the work here. Just, I want to move on from it. But I do know, I would say there's a, a good friend of mine. Um, what I would put up is a, is, is a, uh, two, two guys that uh, I would put up. A guy named Shane Jackson runs Jackson healthcare. Good friend of mine, privately held company, incredibly successful company. The, the guy's a great guy, a great leader, great guy, incredibly successful. Just go check out Shane Jackson, Jackson Healthcare. You'll see that. Another guy I would say is uh, Kurt Richardson, who was the founder of Otterbox, mm. friend of mine. Uh, you know, he's a self-made billionaire, never went to college, out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Great guy, nice guy. Now, do they demand a lot from their employees? Yeah. Do they make sure they understand their market really well? Yeah. Do they have a ton of discipline? Yeah. But at the end of the day, they also pause and go, I wonder what's going on. They're curious about what's going on in any given situation. And that's the difference, I think, is the curiosity. But curiosity takes time and it's inefficient. And what I think is whether it's in human resources or in our churches or in our communities, the problem we have is we're trying to make people widgets and we're not widgets. We're humans, which makes us inefficient, which makes us broken, which makes it really hard to dig into that. And I think when you pause long enough to go into that and understand who someone is, this person had cancer, therefore, this person's having a hard time, therefore, right? When you understand that backstory, then it changes everything. You said something there that I, that I was actually on my list and from reading is that most entrepreneurs are broken. And I agree. I mean, I think most of us have something going on. And that kind of brings me to even the beginning of your book. You talk about being broken and, and understanding who, all right, here's who I am today. This is the real me. Mm -hmm. But we all have a picture of the ideal me. I know I have one. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether it was family, how I, how I react in family, how I yeah. deal with my family, how I deal with business. We all have that. And how far are we from there and how do we get there? Mm -hmm. And part of that is being truthful with yourself. In fact, the four agreements, the first one is, you know, be immaculate with your word. And when I first read the title, I'm going, oh, immaculate with your word with everybody else. But that first chapter about being immaculate with your word to yourself, being truthful to yourself. Yeah. And that's very hard. And you even talk about it. it takes a lot of courage to do that. Mm -hmm. And you've done that. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to tell the truth to people. It's almost impossible to tell the truth to yourself. Not because you don't have the character to do it or the courage to do it. It's because you most people haven't done the work to know it. The very fact that it's a blind spot means you can't see it. And this is why community is so important. And for the longest time in my life, I was a lone wolf. I believed that I was strong enough. I was good enough. I could do it on my own. And to the extent that somebody got in my way, they were dead to me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say it, but I was a manipulator with regards to people. And what could I get out of them to get what I wanted at the end of the day? And um, what I... But I, when, when after I sold Rise, I did the work. I went through the process, a number of different things, Celebrate Recovery, Townsend Leadership Program, uh, Pete Richardson, who runs a Patterson uh, 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 Institute um, Center that does life planning, right? Over the course of three or four or five years, I did this work. And these people came alongside me and just said, hey, you need to look at this. And once they pointed it out, I could see it. But before, I had either subconsciously or consciously said, I can't see that side of me. Man, that was scary because, the, in my opinion, the scariest 
aspect of life is when something you know to be true is not true, that opens up Pandora's box because what else do you know to be true that isn't true? So if I believe something about me and someone points that out and it's accurate, actually inaccurate, boy, you have to peel that back. You have to do the work, right? Or you don't have to. You can close it up and say, I'm just going to disagree or I'm not going to. And so I think that aspect of really doing that work and understanding who you are, the four agreements, immaculate, right? Jordan Peterson would say, uh, tell the truth or at least don't lie. Mm -hmm. Why? Because a lie is like putting a drop of poison in a magnum of champagne, right? If we had a magnum of champagne here and we it was Dom Perignon and we were going to celebrate your success or whatever, and I drop a little drop and I go, hey, that could be poison. You're not going to touch that bottle, yeah. right? One little drop. That's what a lie does to relationships because relationships are built on trust. And, and I want to believe in you and I want to believe what you're telling me is true. But the moment you you tell me something that's not true or you lie to me, well, now all of a sudden I can't trust you. And, and, and that's in marriages. That's with children. That's with the guy valet parking your car. That's with your way. I mean, that's every, across the board is that little drop of, uh, of, of poison and or sewer, right? You drop into that Dom Perry and it ruins the entire relationship. Now it can be recoverable if you do the work, but now you got to go do the work. Yep. Yep. And then you have that bank and yeah, once you deplete that bank or you get a negative balance, building that back up is hard to do. Yeah. Which is why the step of making, you know, there's a whole step, a process of making amends with people that you've wronged. Like that's painful. Hey, you remember the thing I did? I am so sorry. And not, I'm so sorry. If you hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done it. Just, I'm so sorry. Yeah. That's miserable and necessary for redemption. Well, I think, and, and you have to say that to yourself too, when you make a mistake, yeah. being able to say, I'm, I made a mistake. I'm sorry, don't dwell on it, move on yeah, and make amends to yourself as well. And I think that's in the, the book also. My, my wife has this great thing. I wanted to share this real quick. She says this with my with my kids. Um, it's your FFT, which is your first F in time, right? So the extent <laughs> a kid fails at something, we go, hey, it's your FFT. Like, like yeah, you're going to fail. You tried it. Like, at least you tried it. And now you're going to know, you know, and 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 sometimes they it resonates and sometimes it doesn't resonate. But it is like giving yourself that grace to be like, hey, man. It's the first time we're going live on LinkedIn. Who knows? Yeah, it could yeah. be, it could go viral or no one could be watching. I don't know, but it's our FFT, man. So like yeah, we did it. We did it. It's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, Nick, this has been awesome. So I want to hit three things I think that I really will touch on as an entrepreneur. I mean, we're taking risks, but I think entrepreneurs really need to focus on what they're doing and why they're doing it and, you know, for growth for the future. Yeah. And so you hit on that. Um, the importance of team and standing behind your team. Yeah. And you said you can't build it without by yourself. You can, but really you need the team, but then standing behind that team that you built. And then in the end yourself and focusing on who you are, being truthful with yourself and with others, yeah. but having that honesty, um, you know, with it. And a lot of that is touched on in your book and the book is about, it's really a process. And then you even yeah. say it on your LinkedIn, you trusted the process. So in a final closing, do you want to talk a little bit just about that process in the book before we close out? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say the book is not a business book. I hate business yeah. books. It uh, definitely wasn't. I mean, business books are just the worst. Uh, and and go read a book of somebody. Here's my rule of books. Like I read, try to read two books from somebody who's dead for every one book I read of somebody who's alive. Right. Because if they if they're dead and the book is still being published, it's probably gold. And so many business books are just so trite and so surface level and just a marketing ploy. And I just, I don't have much patience for it. So I, I struggled because I wanted to write this memoir, but I don't really have that interesting of a life. No one is going to buy it except for my mom. And, and then I was like, so it's kind of a, it's, that's that side of it, but it's the process of how do you go start? It's the history of entrepreneurship. It's how do you go uh, start 
uh, grow and launch and sell an airline and the work you do afterwards is really the three kind of phases of, of that. And you mentioned something earlier, which is, and I talk about in the book, it's the ideal life versus the real life, right? And so there's this, uh, what I want to believe I am, but there's the reality of what I am or who I am. And that in between the two is it's, it's incongruence. And it's friction and it's chaos. And it's what causes you to wake up at three in the morning and going, who did I tell that lie to? And how do I keep that straight? Right. And so to the extent you can, you're going to have to come down on your ideal a little bit because you're not superhuman and you're going to have to come up on your truth telling quite a bit. But to the extent you can become integrated so that no one on Sunday morning is going to question your business practices on a Thursday afternoon and you're spouse may not like some truth you need to tell them but it's actually truth they need to hear and the discipline you need to give your kid like all these different hard conversations to ignore them it's that it's that dragon under the bed right it's that great children's book it's the there's a dragon under my bed mom no there's not go to bed the dragon gets bigger the next day there's a dragon under my bed no there's not right and pretty soon the dragon overtakes the whole house And when you can close those two, and that's the process of closing those two and going, Nick, business Nick versus personal Nick, we're two different people. And now I can be the same person and I can sleep really well and I can have good conversations and I can go, okay, I screwed up today, but like, I'm going to make that, that, that right. That's a big part of it. And you do that through what I call the triangle of life with this mensch. You have a mensch, someone walking side by side with you, right? A friend, uh, someone who's, who's, who's in community with you. You have a mentor, someone who's mentoring you and you have a mentee, someone that you're mentoring. That's the triangle of life. And if you sit right in the middle of that, that's how you make the right decisions of the 30,000 days we're going to live. 10 of them are going to be written about in our obituary. And if you have the triangle of life around you, guess what? You're most likely going to make good decisions of the 10 days are going to be written about in your obituary. And that leaves you a good legacy. And that's what it's all about. I think that's a great way to end it with that triangle of life and folks on the mentor mentee you mentioned giving back and finding the people around you and surrounding yourself with good people. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they say you're the average of the, you know, the five people you spend the most time with. So yep. uh, that's fantastic. So I do, I want to tell everybody, you know, first, Nick, thank you so yeah. much for coming up here again. This is you're twice welcome. in a week, basically. Yeah. It's been awesome. And that's a drive for me to get up yeah, here. I know. Dan. <laughs> you know how much I love you that I came north of 635. Twice. <laughs> twice. <laughs> So I want to tell everybody, you know, download, get the good entrepreneur. And what I love about it, he said, it's not really a business book. I really related to it. It's a very, a lot of personal stories about how he grew the business, but it shows a lot of vulnerability in his personal relationships. He talks about his marriage and his family and all the, and his, his dad and so on. It's a very good book. Um, I really enjoyed it. So definitely download a copy and it's buy on, a copy. It's on Audible. If you like my voice, I'll read it. I wrote, I read it on Audible. So you can download on Audible as well. If you like my well, voice. I told you, I've, I've downloaded some books and I get the author starts reading and I'm like, okay, I've just got to buy the book and read it because I can't stand his voice. Yours was actually great. Good, thanks. <laughs> thanks. My wife won't listen to it on Audible, but I'm glad you will, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, Nick, thanks again. Uh, everyone, thanks so much for connecting today. Uh, let's, let's continue to learn, grow and connect. And uh, we're going to go forward now. Let's hear from our supporters and our sponsors. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to The Ovation Show. We'd like to give special thanks to our supporters, Craig Shelley Luxury Watches and Fine Jewelry out of Beverly Hills, Success North Dallas, where Bill Wallace is making connections for over 30 years, and Work Innovators, where they're amplifying the voice of business. And now, a special word from our title sponsor. Employers turn to TBX to provide a modern, seamless, and hassle-free self-enrollment experience for core and voluntary products aimed at educating, not selling to employees. 
In fact, not only can employers provide a user-friendly, mobile-responsive technology solution full of dynamic communications, professional videos, and a data-driven decision support tool, they can do so at no cost to them. That's right, with TBX, there are no setup fees or PEPMs, and there's no need to replace existing technology, as we can easily snap onto any existing HRIS and HCM systems. Plus, the enrollment experience is ready in just 30 to 45 days or less, and data files are properly formatted and delivered to carrier and payroll destinations quickly, securely, and accurately. We look forward to helping you accomplish what others can't, a state-of-the-art technology platform for open enrollment, new hires, and qualified life event processing that's simple to implement and maintain. A partnership that's a perfect fit. That's TBX. As business leaders, we all know that healthcare is expensive. In fact, it's one of the top five expenses in most companies. The decisions you make or don't make in your healthcare plan can have financial repercussions down the road, but not all is lost. There are ways to take charge and get your employees the best possible care, all while reducing overall costs for us as employers and employees too. Get your copy of Life and Death Decisions in the C-Suite where Dan Lebrod and his colleagues pull back the curtain and address how the private healthcare system and health insurance industry have plagued businesses for decades. What you'll discover will empower you to take back control over your health insurance costs that could mean massive savings for your company while giving your employees better quality healthcare. Get your free copy now at the link below or using the QR code provided. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.